0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to this Friday free thinking solo episode of the How to Happen podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If it's your first time here, I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, I would uh, very much appreciate it if you would like it, subscribe to it, follow it, do whatever you have to in order for this podcast to come to you automatically each and every week. And if you are returning to listen again, one of my longtime listeners thank you so much for making time for me and for supporting this podcast which i love doing if you're new again fridays i usually do a solo episode Uh, just me. And I'm talking about something that interests me, something that's come to my attention, something that I've read, something that I think, well, has made me think, and hopefully will make you think as well. And on Mondays, I do a longer form episode where I have a guest and we have a very thoughtful, deep conversation about their success and try to get to not only the roots of how it happened for them, but ultimately why it matters to you and to the rest of the world. I get really good feedback on those conversations and the quality of the people that I have on the show. And I would very much like you to check those out uh, as well. I think there's some really great value there. So today I'm talking about Barbenheimer. So the Barbie movie, let's start with that first. And this is going somewhere. So don't, don't leave me now if you're not a Barbie fan. But I went to the Barbie movie with my whole family, my wife, my two girls who are adult, and my wife's parents, uh, Franny and Bucky, and I really didn't want to go. I just thought it would be a silly, silly movie, and I wasn't, you know, I'm, I never played with Barbie, so I wasn't a Barbie person, but I went sort of with an open mind, and I have to tell you, at the beginning of the movie, I was a little bit mm, not so interested in it, but uh, as it gave it some time, uh, I have to tell you, I think that movie is very clever, and uh, actually kind of funny in particular i thought ryan gosling's character he played ken was extremely cool and funny he did a great job playing that character as did margot robbie playing barbie and it was it was a very interesting tale i won't Give it away if you haven't seen it. Uh, if you're one of the few people probably that hasn't seen it, it's grossed over a billion dollars, I believe. Uh, so a lot of people have seen it, but Ken is an accessory to Barbie and it's very funny how they play off of that. You know, the man being the accessory, it's, it's, uh, it's very funny. The only thing Ken knows how to do is beach, which I called. So after that, I, I was like, well, how am I Ken? So I am, uh, we decided in my family, I am takeout Ken and takeout Ken is the guy who goes to get takeout and bring it home and takeout ken is a very precarious job and if you are takeout whoever if you're the takeout ken ken in your family you'll appreciate this because it's very difficult to be a great takeout ken like you don't get a lot of kudos when everything goes exactly like you ordered that's kind of the expectation but when things aren't exactly right which happens a lot unfortunately you kind of like you're the, you're the goat. You're the kind of, uh, everybody's a little disappointed and especially the people who didn't get what they wanted are a little disappointed. And so that's who I am. I am used to it and I continue to do it and probably will continue to do it for the rest of my life because nobody else wants to do it. But, and I will do my best to do my great job, but I am take, I can. Anyway, if you haven't seen Barbie, go see it. Oppenheimer. And that's where the Barbenheimer comes in. Oppenheimer movie came out uh, just around the same time. I have not seen Oppenheimer. I uh, so I so I can't speak directly about the Oppenheimer movie, but what I am going to talk to you today is a story that Oppenheimer uh, is, uh, of course, plays a prominent role in, and it's this book that I read, and it's called Countdown 1945. It's by Chris Wallace and Mitch Weiss. The subtitle is The Extraordinary Story of the Atomic Bomb and the 116 Days that Changed the World. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this from a leadership perspective. So on April 12th, 1945, the book starts out saying that Harry Truman needed a drink. And the reason Harry Truman, Truman needed a drink because April 12th, 1945 was the day that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president, died after 12 years in office. And it's the 82nd day that Truman had been his vice president. And what was interesting about this is that Truman and FDR didn't know each other very well. So he wasn't his vice president for his previous presidencies. He was sort of hand selected by the party to be the vice president for the reasons that they hand select people to be vice presidents. And he had only met, I believe my recollection is correct, twice with FDR during the 82 days that he was vice president. So he didn't know him at all. He met him twice. And 82 days after becoming vice president, he is the president of the United States. Shortly after that, His secretary, this secretary, FDR's secretary of war, who continued as Truman's secretary of war, Harry Stimson, said that I have an urgent matter that I need to talk to you about. And this urgent matter was what's now known as the Manhattan Project, uh, which was the the project uh, that that FDR had started to create a nuclear bomb capability in the United States. And here's the weird thing think about this 125,000 people were working on that project. In multiple areas around the country, Los, Al- Los Alamos, New Mexico is probably the best known, but they were in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and some other areas, 125,000 people. And Truman knew nothing about it. Nothing. You imagine? So now he's got this decision to make. What is this? Should I keep this project going? What What are the ramifications? What's the... You know, what's the goal? He had to get up to speed on all of this stuff. So imagine that being dropped on you. By the way, we're in the middle of, well, it turns out near the end, but of World War II as well. So that's like shortly after April 12th when he becomes president. On May 7th, Germany surrenders and everybody's thinking, this is awesome because the war is going to be over. The only problem was that the Japanese, Japan was not going to surrender. So you've got this decision that, that Truman needs to make uh, in conjunction with Churchill and Stalin, uh, Stalin running the USSR at the time, and and Churchill the UK, because they were the they were the main allies with the United States against Germany and now against Japan. So they had to t- determine well, what are we going to do now because Japan doesn't will not surrender. So they had this summit in may in in germany and these leaders got together and it was it was it was over a week long it was a very very long summit about what to do and there was the books great about all of the different things that went into this but truman you know he's a brand new president he's intimidated by this right so he's got to get his feet underneath him he's got to try to figure out who's who and what's what and ultimately he needs to get stalin to commit russia or the ussr to fighting or soviet union to fighting against the the japanese in the you know to end the war and he was not convinced that they would do it even though stalin promised to do it so he's got that all going on and then that's in july right so they're back and forth back and forth back and forth all the time the manhattan project is still going on and they're getting very very close to being able to test the, the nuclear bomb which they end up doing sometime in in july i believe it was and it works so Truman is like, okay, who who can I trust? Oh, and when, by the way, the Japanese were were very, they were proving themselves to be excellent fighters, like as you know the the kamikaze and all that. But they they were excellent fighters, and they were not afraid to die, and they were very good at killing soldiers, particularly U.S. soldiers. And he was trying to do the math, and it was like two hundred fifty thousand U.S. soldiers. He felt or his experts felt could be could die if this war continued with Japan. And so with all of this going on, he's meeting with advisors, he's meeting with other world leaders, he's he's kind of going through would it work? You know, should we tell the Japanese what we're going to do and they ended up having a sort of a modified thing about how they would tell them and and ultimately should we do it? And the book weaves through a lot of Really interesting stories as it makes the case it as it makes its way through these 116 days. So there's perspective from a Japanese uh, girl whose family uh, ultimately uh, was was in Hiroshima when the first bomb was dropped on on August the sixth, 1945. So you got her story. You've got, of course. The Los Alamos people, Oppenheimer, Stimson, and a whole bunch of others, their story. A woman who was working one of the nuclear fuel, the uranium enrichment devices that they had, who had no idea what she was doing. In fact, nobody knew what they were doing. Well, very few. Most of the 125,000 people knew they were working on something important, but they did not know they were, and anyone that did know was sworn to secrecy. So no one was talking about this. And uh, after the bomb was dropped, um, as you can imagine, there were a lot of well, there were a lot of questions of of Truman, and you know he had to, you know, from a leadership's perspective, coming in April 12th, not knowing anything, and FDR had set this whole thing in motion, and by July or August 6, 1945, the first bomb had been dropped. And there's a part in the book where Oppenheimer comes into his office shortly thereafter and says, "Mr. President, I feel I may have blood on my hands." And Truman said, I told him the blood was on my hands to let me worry about it. And then this is him, I think, talking to his wife. He said, it was a terrible decision, but I made it to save 250,000 boys from the United States. And I would make it again under similar circumstances. And so here's the thing. I don't know what to make of the decision to use nuclear bombs on Japan. There are only a handful of people. On the planet today who have had to consider such a decision and the only one who's actually made it truman is dead he's gone so what i do know is that i can't find fault with the way he deliberated the decision he didn't make it in a vacuum it wasn't gut he listened to the experts then He considered it very carefully, and then he made it. And more than that, he didn't just make it, he owned it. And that's a quality that's very rare in leadership today, especially when the cost or the outcome is so hotly debated, contested, challenged, particularly by those who never had to make it. And so as leaders, we're never going to have to make a decision like that, hopefully. But you're going to have to make a lot of consequential decisions and to me the best leaders make decisions based on the best possible information they have they have to take ownership and accountability for that decision no matter what and they have to live with it forever and that ain't easy i'll leave you with this i believe that you would get a lot of value out of reading this book countdown 1945 and i'm sure you would get a lot of value out of seeing oppenheimer The movie, I do plan to see the movie, and I think you'd get a lot of value out of seeing Barbie as well. But when you're thinking about making a decision, I guess the number one thing I want to leave with you is make a decision. I can't tell you the number of times when I've seen leaders need to make a decision and fail to do it fail to do it out of uncertainty, fail to do it out of fear, fail to do it because they think that maybe if they don't do it, it'll just go away or people will forget about it or whatever, and it never happens. So yeah, when you have to make a decision, make a decision. That's what leaders do. Thank you so much for joining me for this solo episode. I am very, very proud of the work that I do here, and I am very, very grateful to you for investing your time with it. I hope you got a return on that investment today. Join me for the very next episode. Subscribe, follow, do all the things, watch it on YouTube, however you like to get it. And until next time, please maximize the greatness that's inside of you today and own your future. Make it your property, something that you are super proud to own. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the show. And before you go, I just have three requests for you. One, if you like what I'm doing, please consider subscribing or following the podcast on whatever podcast platform you prefer. If you're really into it, leave me a review, write something nice about me, give me five stars or whatever you feel is most appropriate. Number two, I've got a book. It's called Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. It's an Amazon bestseller, and I'd love for you to read it or listen to it on Audible or wherever else, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, you can get it everywhere. If you're looking for inspiration that will help you unlock your greatness and potential, order or download it today so that you can have your very own copy. And if you get it, please let me know what you think. Number three, my newsletter. I do a newsletter every Thursday and I talk about things that are interesting to me and or I give more information about the podcast and the podcast guests that I've had and the experiences that I've had with them. So you can sign up for the podcast today at at my website which is my name mikemalatesta.com. you do that right now put in your email address and you'll get the very next issue the newsletter is short thoughtful and designed to inspire activate and maximize the greatness in you